Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. All of Job's so-called friends are wrong in their assessment and even more wrong in their unwillingness to abandon their falsehoods. And this is why Job says what he says about their falsehoods. And, and again, in a sanctified sarcasm, maybe that's a better word, a sanctified sarcasm, he says, you know what, I'm going to say this, but it's not going to make any difference. You're going to continue to mock me. You're going to continue to accuse me. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barak of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. Even after logical discussion, Job's friends were unwilling to consider that their religious rationale could be wrong. They continued to claim that Job was being punished because of something he'd done. Pastor J.D. teaches us how dangerous it is for us to become locked on religious doctrine. We must remember to seek Jesus and not legalism. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapter 21 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 1, Job is now responding to Bildad, who just railed on him, laid into him, continuing to rebuke him, falsely accuse him, and even call him names, uh, such as a hypocrite. <laughs> uh, that's uh, one of many. And so this is where we really see this change in Job in how he answers and responds Verse 1 says, Then Job answered and said, Listen carefully to my speech, and let this be your consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. Now this is interesting because prior he was getting very blunt, and, and you can't blame him, rightfully so, in his attempt to defend himself against these ludicrous and absurd false accusations. So he's very graciously, I don't know if by chapter 21 I would be so gracious, but Job is graciously saying to them, in effect, to Bildad particularly, um, just hear me out. (laughs) Bear with me. And then he says this, and it's, it's a sanctified Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It's a sanctified shaming because he says, and after I have spoken, keep mocking. In other words, I know that after I'm done speaking, you're just going to keep mocking me and ridiculing me and falsely accusing me, but I'm going to say it anyway. And so he continues verse four, as for me, is my complaint against man? And if it were, why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. Again, picture the scene. Job is sitting on an ash heap in this rubbish heap as he's 
you'll forgive the, the graphic description, but I think it's needed in order to fully embrace and grasp what's really happening here, the intensity and the enormity of Job's plight. He is with sharp objects scraping the boils that cover him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And I imagine that they could not even look at him. And if they did, they they would have to just wince with horror at the sight of this man that is their friend. And it's, it's like he's saying, just take a look at me. And I know it's astonishing. And put your hand over your mouth. I think this is in a twofold sense. First, it's kind of a gasp at the horror and the hideousness of Job's condition. But I think it's secondly also inferring that put your hand over your mouth and close your mouth. Do not speak anymore. Do not speak anymore. Verse 6, even when I remember I am terrified and trembling takes hold of my flesh. Can you even imagine what it must have been like? I mean, I think about, forget the physical. How about the emotional and the psychological trauma and, and, and turmoil? When he says, and, and trembling takes hold of my flesh, I imagine this to be literal, that he is convulsing and, and shaking and literally physically trembling. Verse 7, why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, become mighty in power. Their descendants, verse 8, are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull breeds without failure. Their cow calves without miscarriage. They send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. They sing, verse 12, to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. Yet they say to God, depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? In other words, Job is is just... I, I, for lack of a better word, he is flabbergasted at how it is that the wicked, and we're going to be talking about this in more detail here shortly, but he's just flabbergasted at how it is that the wicked seem to prosper and live long and full lives without adversity. And, and look at him. Contrary to what his so-called friends have accused him of, namely that of being wicked himself, that of having sin in his life, which he needs to repent of, so that God could bring this horror to an end. 
And he, he, he says, think about this. You're, you're accusing me of being wicked. Have you looked around to see how it is that just because you're wicked doesn't mean that you're going to be covered from head to toe with boils? How do you explain this, in other words? How do you explain the wicked prospering and living long, full life, and they want nothing to do with God? They blaspheme God. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit do we have if we pray to Him? We have no desire for the knowledge of His ways. We don't, we don't want nothing to do with God. Let, yet look at their their lives. Job is trying to reason with the unreasonable. He's trying to reason with them. I mean, just it, 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 logically speaking, forget theologically, just logically speaking, because their theology is all whacked, and they're about to have a, <laughs> a change in their theology when God finally breaks into this scene, which I can't wait and sets them straight. Job 2. God has a few words for Job as well. And for those of you who read ahead to stay ahead, you know that Job is not innocent when it comes to some of the things that he uttered from his lips. He says, verse 16, Indeed their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? How often does their destruction come upon them? The sorrows God distributes in His anger. They are like straw before the wind and like chaff that a storm carries away. They say, God lays up one's iniquity for His children. Let Him recompense him that he may know it. Let his eyes see his destruction, and let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care about his household after him, when the number of his months is cut in half? Can anyone teach God knowledge, since he judges those on high? One dies in his full strength, being wholly at ease and secure. His pails are full of milk, and the marrow of his bones is moist. Another man, verse 25, dies in the bitterness of his soul, never having eaten with pleasure. They lie down alike in the dust, and worms cover them. Look, I know your thoughts and the schemes with which you would wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the prince, and where is the tent? the dwelling place of the wicked. Have you, verse 29, not asked those who travel the road? And do you not know their signs? For the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. That's key. Hang on to that. We're going to come back to that shortly. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. Who condemns his way to his face? And who repays him for what he has done? Yet he shall be brought to the grave, and a vigil kept over the tomb. The clods of the valley, verse 33, shall be sweet to him. Everyone shall follow him, as countless have gone before him. How then can you comfort me with empty words, since falsehood remains in your answers? 
Wow. Well, we're going to talk about that too uh, here, I think, about the end of chapter 22 or 23. But um, they're not trying to comfort him. Do you get the impression that they're trying to comfort him? I think, you know, Job, in all fairness, to our, our dear friend Job here, for whom we have such pity and grief, considering that which he is experiencing. But these, that's why I'm calling them so-called friends. You'll forgive me for doing so. But I don't, I don't think they have any intention. I don't think from the very beginning, even the seven days of silence, I don't think from the get-go that they were ever interested in comforting him. And again, we'll talk about that later. So chapter 21, Job is refuting them by arguing to the contrary, because he is, in effect, uh, refuting and contradicting everything they have said to him prior. I mean, keep in mind, they've, they've accused him of being wicked, being evil, and we're going to see it here in a moment as well. They've accused him of everything falsely. They falsely accused him of everything, and he comes back. And this is important because long before we even get to this point, certainly, and think about this, if Job did have some secret sin in his life, don't you think that by now he would have repented, if for no other reason, just to get some relief? I mean, he even said as much. Are you guys kidding me? I mean, it's a loose paraphrase of the <laughs> of the text, but it's almost as if he's saying, are you kidding me? You're accusing me of having this secret sin, which is why God is judging me and punishing me and doing this to me. The implication being, if I would repent, this would end. Are you kidding me? I, I would have repented on day one. I wouldn't have even let one day go by. I would have been repenting. It, listen, about the time, <laughs> I mean, 10 of my children are dead. Um, everything, all of my wealth is gone. My wife can't bear to see me like this and wants me to just curse God so that God will put me out of my misery and get this over with. It's that bad. It's, and and if, if Job had secret sin, you're telling me that he wouldn't have repented by now? I would have repented pre-boils, I assure you, <laughs> long before Satan was given permission to afflict me physically. I would have repented a long time ago. And that's basically the case that he is arguing. And he couches it in terms of those who are wicked, yet prosper. And he compares, even contrasts, the wicked to the righteous, and how that both prosper. So what gives? I mean, in other words... And keep in mind, their theology is this. If you're good, then God will be good to you. If you're bad, then God will do bad to you. That's their theology. So now their, their gears are jammed because if Job is good and this is bad, that doesn't 
that doesn't reconcile, that doesn't fit, that really jams my gears. And I I think God is wanting to jam their gears. (laughs) And and God's going to jam Job's gears a little bit too. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And simply put, all of Job's so-called friends are wrong in their assessment and even more wrong in their unwillingness to abandon their falsehoods. And this is why Job says what he says about their falsehoods. And and again, in a sanctified sarcasm, maybe that's a better word, a sanctified sarcasm, he says, you know what, I'm going to say this, but it's not going to make any difference. You're going to continue to mock me, you're going to continue to accuse me, you're going to continue all of your falsehoods, no matter what I say. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, no matter what you said, it made no difference? As genuine and as sincere and even as humble as you try to be and gracious in the way that you communicate it, sometimes nothing you can say will make any difference. There's an obstinance, there's an arrogance, there's a a stubbornness, there's really a pride on the part of some that they will never, because of how they are and even who they are, they will never receive a rebuke. You can, you can try to talk sense. You can try to reason with them. You can just try to, to be logical <laughs> with them and they'll never receive it. We had an acronym uh, on the mainland in uh, the ministry, and uh, we called it fat. We wanted fat people, <laughs> which you can see why, you know, <laughs> I was uh, accepted. No, fat is the acronym. Faithful, available, and teachable. Teachable. People had to be teachable. They had to be able to receive instruction. You had to be able to speak into their lives. And they had to be teachable. Otherwise, they were not usable. I have no interest. I'm getting, well, I'm getting off, off track here, off message. I digress, as they say. But I'm... I'm at the place in my life where, and I'm speaking of myself, okay, where I can't afford not to be teachable myself. Listen, I've lived too much of my Christian life not being teachable, and I have the scars to prove it. And I just say that very honestly. I'm being very transparent. I remember young, as a young man, young in in the faith, and really immature, in the Lord, and I was just, and I know you know nothing of this, <laughs> but I was so obstinate, so stuck. I thought I knew it all. You couldn't tell me anything. I had a, a brother a um, that had a spiritual spine confront me and say to me, you know, nobody can tell you anything. 
you're always right. And I thought, wow. And the Lord used that. You know, the wounds of a friend are faithful, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And he was telling me, as a friend, being faithful to me because of his love for me. If he, if he didn't love me, he wouldn't have bothered. He said, yeah, go on. <laughs> See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. I know where that leads. I've been there, done that. And he cared enough to say, listen, um, you're not teachable. You are so full of yourself. Nobody can tell you anything. And I'll tell you, the, the Lord got to be, and I needed to hear that, and I needed to heed that. And I started thinking about conversations in the past that I've had, dialogues, uh, concerning really uh, areas of ministry. And I wasn't in the pastorate at the time, so <laughs> don't look at me like you were just looking at me. This is long before I got into the, the ministry, okay? And it was on the mainland, remember. It was in a land far, far away and a long, long time ago. And I started thinking back about all of those times where I just dug my heels in, in my obstinance, my my stiff-necked stubbornness, and boy, did I pay the price. Boy, did I pay the price. There's something about being on the receiving end of somebody who cares enough to speak the truth into your life as much as it hurts. It's the honest truth, and sometimes that truth hurts, but it's a good thing. And I tell you, before the Lord, it was a real turning point in my life. I began to humble myself, and I started listening. I was uh, watching an interesting uh, documentary about the power of just listening and not talking, which for me, (laughs) that's that's an issue, Um, to listen more and talk less. You know, one said that God gave us two ears and one mouth, do the math, to listen twice as much as we as we speak, and to not talk over people. Let them talk and let them speak into your life. You never know. God may have a word for you through somebody, like Oswald Chambers says, we, we, we are okay when the Lord breaks us, but sometimes we're not okay with who the Lord chooses to use as the instrument to break us. Sometimes God will have somebody, the last person you would ever want God to use. Thanks for listening to In Spirit and Truth. We hope Pastor J.D. Farag's message from the book of Job has blessed you and given you hope in the midst of your own life struggles. If you'd like to hear additional teachings from Pastor J.D., simply visit our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click on Listen at the top of the page. There you'll find a link to subscribe to our podcast or you can download messages to share with your family and friends. Are you a part of a church family? The Bible urges us to find fellowship with other believers, not only for purposes of community, but also for the health of your own personal spiritual walk. You too can contribute valuable and unique gifts to the body of Christ, giving support in the ways God has designed you to. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd be thrilled to welcome you to our fellowship here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. 
Our weekly services are on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. We focus on studying God's Word and worshiping our Creator, all while getting to know each other better through Christ's love. Location information and directions can be found by going to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and clicking on Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at the bottom of the page. We're excited to share this time with you in person, and we're so glad you spent time with us here today on In Spirit and Truth. May God bless you as you continue to study His Word and follow His path for your life. Pastor J.D. will have more to share from the book of Job when you tune in next time, right here on In Spirit and Truth. <laughs> 